0: Well, it is good to be back, Santa Cruz Baptist. You might think my wife and I spend the summers here because Rob lives by the beach. Um, Cornhole tournaments, uh, you love on our family, but I'm mainly here this summer, here at this particular church, because your pastor, your pastors, preach the word of God. Christ Jesus every single Sunday, and I want you to know after spending time with Drew for many years behind the scenes, as you already know, Drew is the same here as he is behind the scenes. He loves you, wants your best, and he preaches the word in season and out-of-season. And not everyone does that across the world, and not everyone does that in Santa Cruz County. And so I hope you're thankful for your pastors, and especially Pastor Drew. Are you? Amen. All right. You owe me a poke lunch. <laughs> How do you parent? How did you parent? Sit down. Look me in the eye. Shake your hand firmly. you see a grandma that needs help, go open the door for her. How do you evangelize? Repent? Turn? Burn? Follow? How do you help someone who needs assurance? Have you prayed enough? Have you read your Bible enough? Have you meditated on God's word enough? Now certainly there's truth to every one of those. But today we're going to learn that that's not all the truth needed when it comes to parenting, living the Christian life, dealing with assurance, or even evangelizing. Your pastor's given me an assignment today and is to talk about law and gospel, or for Rob's sake, law and gospel, <laughs> where I live. I think I told you the story the first time I got to Massachusetts, coming from California, uh, almost 30 years ago. A guy got up and he read from Scripture, and he was reading the words of Jesus in the book of Revelation. And he got up and he read, and he said, I am the Alpha and Omega. <laughs> and I laughed like you did, but nobody else laughed. <laughs> That's just how they talk. And so once in a while, I might say I dear, but other than that, I talk like I'm from... Nebraska or California. Today we're going to talk on the topic of law and gospel and it's going to be very very important because it will help the way it'll help you think about evangelism, parenting, the Christian life. It almost affects every single area and what we're going to do this morning is something a little different. Normally you're in Genesis working through a passage verse by verse but today we're going to look at four particular sections of scripture to help you think through this paradigm called law-gospel. It's really life-changing when you figure out what's the difference between law, what's the difference between gospel and evangelism and Christian living and holy uh, lifestyle, etc., law and gospel. So the outline today is super simple. Two definitions, four passages that will help you understand this topic, law-gospel, so that you can interpret the Bible better and live your Christian life. Two definitions... Four passages. And I want you to know ahead of time that uh, usually what pastors do, their earlier points take much longer than their later points. And so if you're calculating my first couple points and you're saying they're 20 minutes each, how's he going to get through with this? Well, Drew said I could preach for as long as I wanted. (laughs) So the, the longest sermon I've ever preached in my life on a Sunday morning was 92 minutes by request of the pastor in Los Angeles, in South Central LA. And I said to him, by the way, why 92 minutes? And he said, because cassettes say 45 minutes on one side, 45 on the other, but technically they're 46 on each side. So I want you to fill an entire cassette, 92 minutes. (laughs) Luther said, whoever knows well this art of distinguishing between law and gospel, place him at the head and call him a doctor of Holy Scripture. So my goal today is simple. I want you to understand law and gospel. So at the very end of the sermon today, you'll walk up to me and say, thank you, doctor. And I'll say to you, thank you, doctor. Okay? It's that important that you understand law and gospel, both for holy living and evangelism. So two definitions, four passages. Definition number one, simple, what is law? What is law? And basically, law is a command. This is simple. You understand this. It, a Law is an imperative. Law simply says, do. My son's friend, by the way, it was great sitting here last Sunday, sitting underneath Luke Abendroth, my son's preaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I thought, I don't know whether to be proud of him or be convicted that I didn't love like I should. <laughs> right? And I, I had both of those thoughts. Luke's friend teaches junior high, and every time he says law, the the, the young people shout out, do, because that's what law is. It's something that you do. Law commands. Law accuses. Law curbs. Law convicts. Law is something that we do. Very, very simple. It's what we're to do or not to do. And specifically, we're to obey God. We have been... Made by God, He's our Creator, and He, the Creator, tells us what we are to do. And so law is simply something that we do. And for the unbeliever, of course, that unbeliever is supposed to do everything that God says. Not pick and choose, but they are supposed to perfectly obey God. If you'd like to get to heaven as an unbeliever, option one is perfect obedience. Entire obedience. Perpetual obedience. Just have to obey God that's law, and it's something that we do. The law is like a mirror. If you want to think of a a word that helps with law, it's a mirror. You take a look at yourself in the mirror and you see what you really look like, right? And you have a 10x mirror, and you have a 10x mirror that has a a halo around the outside, and when you look at yourself you think you look pretty good, especially compared to other people, but then when you really analyze yourself you realize, I have I have other things on my face that make me seem not like I think I am, but what I really am. Now the law is good, of course, because 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. Well, why is the law good? Is it good for God to tell us what to do? Well, of course, because the law reflects His holiness and His righteousness and His character. And the law is not floating around out here abstractly. It reveals who God is. And so the law says, do. Is the law sin, Romans chapter 1? May it never be. So the law is simple. It's a command. It's an imperative. It says, do. Definition number two, any guesses what that might be? What is the gospel? The law says, do. And the gospel says, Done. Something is done. The gospel gives. The gospel forgives. The gospel justifies. The gospel reconciles. The gospel comforts. The gospel promises. This is what God has done in Christ Jesus. Is the gospel. The gospel is a declaration. It's a. It's an announcement. I have good news. My old uh, favorite preacher. Uh, his name is S. Lewis Johnson. He says, the gospel's like this. It's a boy. It's a girl. You make an announcement almost on tiptoes. You can't say it with a normal speaking voice. Uh, as those would say, Ronald Reagan wins in a landslide. You could tell he was older. I thought you might laugh at that more than you did. Sorry. <laughs> <It's> all right. <laughs> the law preaches, I'm condemned if I don't do. And the gospel says, I'm blessed because it's been done. The gospel says do, and the, uh, the law says do, and the gospel says it is finished. The gospel is Jesus died for not his own sin, but for our sins, and was raised on the third day. The gospel says do this and live. Uh, the gospel says it is finished. The law says do this and live. So we're going to take a little brief moment. I know, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, I haven't opened my Bible yet. That's okay. We're going to get there. Let me just ask you this question. Is this law or gospel? There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Is it something to do or is it something done? Done. It's gospel. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and to do them. Law or gospel? Law. Law. Good. How about this? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Law or gospel? gospel. Gospel. Why, we might as well just close in prayer. Now you guys have been taught well. The law says do, the gospel says done. Now let's go to the second part of the outline, four passages, and each one of these passages is going to help us see things clearly. Passage number one, now we open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 19. The gospel says, it's done, the law says do, and now we're going to take a look at four examples of this to help you with evangelism and help you then with holy living. Matthew chapter 19, the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew, portraying Jesus as king. So the rich young ruler, I think you know the passage. Remember, a law is due and gospel is done. The law tells the unbeliever that he's a sinner and he needs a Savior. The Gospel says this is the Savior. The triune God saves sinners. Matthew 19, we pick it up here in the very middle, of course, in verse 16. And behold, kind of getting your attention, a man came up to him, that is Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what deed must I do to have eternal life? (coughs) Notice what he calls Jesus. He calls him teacher. Did you know in other accounts he calls him good teacher? How many people are good in this world? Are you a good person? Uh, Of course, the Lord Jesus is the only good person. And the Bible teaches that no one's good. And here's this man. He comes up. By the way, this is perfect pickings. He's rich. He's young. And he's a ruler. This will be perfect for uh, uh, the cadre of Jesus with all the apostles. This is the exact kind of person you think you want to follow Jesus. Good person, what must I do to be saved? Did you know in other passages that are similar, he kneels before Jesus? Can you imagine? Running up to Jesus, down on his knees, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Is that a good question, by the way? Yes. I think that's a really good question. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, one day you'll die and stand before God, and eternity's eternal. So then where do you go? Very, very good question. Here's another question. What would you tell this man? What would you tell him? Would you say accept Jesus in your heart? Would you say make a decision? Would you say watch the chosen television series? Would you say watch my life a little bit, lifestyle evangelism? Well, what did Jesus say? That's a good question. Verse 17. And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? You're not good. I am good. You need to be good. That's what Jesus is saying. There's only one who's good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Law or gospel? Law, law. law. You see what he's doing there? Sinners need to know they're sinners so that they seek a Savior. When we're evangelizing, we're telling people, this is the law of God. This is the mirror to look at yourself through the lens of. And when you fall short, you say, I, I need a Savior. Is there-, is there a Savior that someone would save a person like me? If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Young man, you're not good. And if you'd like to get to heaven by doing, by keeping the law, then keep them all. How many times do you have to spit in the master's face before you're condemned? Just one. How many laws do you break in, Galatians, uh, in James chapter 2 before you're held accountable for all? He's trying to get this young man to say, I am a sinner. Please have mercy. I know you've had mercy on all kinds of people, from lepers, everyone else. Do you think you'd have mercy on me? The sinfulness of man needs to be seen by this young man, and he doesn't quite see it yet. Only God is good. We even sing the songs in the Psalms. Do we not? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Good. He alone is good. He defines good. He's intrinsically good. Only God's good. We're not good. And if you'd like to get to heaven, you need to be good. Don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to God. Look in the mirror of the law of God. He asked a law question and Jesus gave him a law answer. If you want to get to heaven, perfectly obey. Of course, we know because of Adam. Did you ever preach Genesis? Like one to three or anything like that? We know Adam fell and it's a, it's impossible for us now to obey to get to heaven, theoretically impossible. But if you could somehow perfectly obey God, well why would he kick you out? You've per- perfectly obeyed. If you would enter life, keep the commandments, he said in verse 18. Which ones? And now we look at the second half of the table of the commandments about how we're to treat other people. Jesus said you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does the law require? Perfect, entire, exact, perpetual obedience. And what did he say? The young man said to him, Oh, I've fallen short of the glory of God. Please have mercy. I heard you were gracious. No, all these things I've kept Luke says, from my youth, from when I was little, I did them all. What do I still lack? Isn't that sad? I perfectly obeyed. I don't need mercy. I don't need grace. I I, I obey. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Verse 22 says... For he had great possessions truly i say to you verse 23 jesus saying to his disciples only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven again i tell you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle that's literal than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of god when the disciples heard this they were greatly astonished saying who then can be saved But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The law shows unbelievers their sin, so they seek a Savior. The law shows like a mirror, this is who I really am, not in comparison to other people, but before God. The law says if you'd like to get to heaven, unbeliever, love God perfectly, love your neighbor perfectly perfectly. Jesus is not preaching the gospel here. He's showing the person the need of salvation. Passage number two. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've looked at a law passage for unbelievers. Now we're going to look at a gospel passage. Of course you know this passage, it's wonderful. This is one of those passages that Spurgeon would say jumps out of the page and it says to the pastor, "Preach me." Don't go to other passages and preach. Preach me because I'm so wonderful because I talk about the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've had definitions, law, do, gospel, done. We've seen Jesus himself talk to unbelievers with the law so that the person might say, have mercy on me. Instead, that man went away sad. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about the gospel. When you preach the gospel, what is it? Can you live the gospel? Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, 1 Corinthians 15, which you received and which you stand, and by which, the gospel, you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, pretty formal language like passing a baton in a relay race, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, That Christ died for our sins, certainly not his, he didn't sin, in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We'll stop there. The word gospel means good news. As I said before, it means something that you'll say with a smile. Uh, I was once taught that you have three faces. Face number one, the face when they bury you that you'll have. And that face is this. Face number two, when you're not really happy about something, you kind of scrunch up your face a little bit and you show a little disdain. You're not really pleased with what people do. And then there's that face when you have a little grandson named Amos. Famous Amos in my mind. And you walk over to the crib in the morning. He's seven months old. And you open up your face and you say, Hi, Amos. Your face just opens up. Some of you are doing it right now, copying me. That's the face that you use to proclaim the gospel. Jesus saves sinners. He knows everything in your skeleton closet of sin, and he still comes and dies for you. It's one thing to die for a good person. It's another thing to die for people like us. We might look good on the outside. But we need a Savior. And it's this language that says, I have good news. I, I, I'm a herald proclaiming. Good news, law comes from the inside. We have a conscience with the law written on our heart, but the only way the gospel comes, if somebody stands up, and I think we talked about Romans 10 this morning, if somebody comes up and proclaims that gospel about Christ Jesus and how He lives perfectly, dies a substitutionary death, and is raised from the dead. This is what Jesus has done. And it satisfies our most important need. We are not doing the right thing, and when you do something right, it's called righteousness. When you do something wrong, it's called unrighteousness. And we need to be perfectly right in God's eyes, which perfectly means to obey Him righteously. And we're not that, and so we need Jesus, the righteous one, to pay for our unrighteousness. Some people think the gospel is, God helps those who help themselves. By the way, is that law or gospel? It's law. Some people say, this is what the gospel is. Have a relationship with God. Have your best life now. Be baptized. Be good. Be nice. Do unto others as you would do unto them. Speak in tongues. Make Jesus your Lord. What would Jesus do? Do you know all those things are law, law, law. Those aren't the gospel. The response to the gospel certainly is believe, but the gospel is not love God and love your neighbor. Sometimes I'll drive past churches in New England if there's any left. <laughs> and I'll see outside. We're known for loving God and loving neighbor. Amen. Well, that's not bad, is it? But I drive by when I see that, I think that's a law church. They love the law there. And we should love the law. But I'd rather have them say Colossians 1.28, Him, Jesus, we proclaim. I wonder if somebody from Tibet would walk in today, never been in a worship service ever, and we ask them afterwards, what's Christianity about? I don't think when Drew is going through Genesis, or Rob is preaching about walking with God, that any of them would ever say, Christianity is about being good. Is it important to be good? Yes. As, a, as an evidence of Christianity. But Christianity isn't about being good. Every religion teaches being good. Christianity is this, you're not good, I'm not good, there's only one good, his name was Jesus, he's the eternal son, he assumes humanity, and he perfectly obeys, and then he dies for sinners, and somehow, supernaturally, he's raised from the dead. The gospel is about a person, the Lord Jesus. And you can see that right here, can you not, in this great definition of the gospel, and how important is it, verse 3, of Tertiary importance, of secondary importance, of first importance. True or false? Everything in the Bible is important. True or false? Some things in the Bible are more important than other things in the Bible. True. Out of all the things in the Bible, the most important thing is the Lord Jesus comes and dies for sinners. Right here in the passage. It's the most important message in all of history. And it has to be proclaimed. Sometimes people will say, um, "The only gospel the person that you have in your neighborhood that's not a believer will ever read is you. You're the fifth gospel. I think really? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Mike. <laughs> and if you watch me carefully, you're going to realize, I'm not the gospel. By the way, how can Drew and your pastoral team get up and preach every single week? If it's about them, they shouldn't because we know that they're sinners. But if they're proclaiming Christ Jesus, that's what you want in a preacher. A sinful, frail frail preacher who proclaims Christ Jesus. And by the way, this news is so important. Go back to verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel I preach to you. Do you see that right there in the center of the verse The gospel I preach to you. Literally he says the gospel I gospel to you. Did you know the gospel is good news in content? Jesus is alive. It's true. And it's good news in delivery. It's good news in the way you proclaim it. And how you say it. This is good news. Luther said this is something you sing and tell with gladness. Probably makes you almost want to dance. Not in church of course but... My wife and I love to take ballroom dancing classes, but I just don't happen to do it at church. Notice what's happening here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Where's the stress? The stress is all on Jesus. He was buried. It didn't say they buried Him. He was buried. He died, verse 3. He was raised, verse 4. He appeared, verse 5. Paul, the writer, is making sure we understand that the gospel is about Jesus himself and what he has done. God justifies the wicked through Christ Jesus. We don't live the gospel. We point to the one who lived the gospel. And you say, Yes, but my life is different. Well, I'm glad your life is different. And that's an effect of the gospel. That's a benefit of the gospel, but the gospel is about a person. When you hear people say, Is that a gospel centered church? What they're really asking is Is it a church that talks about the Lord Jesus? I determine to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him what? Crucified. Please tell us about the Lord Jesus. We sang the song today, did we not? Show us Christ. Show us Christ. And do you notice a focus here on the resurrection? Let's not forget that. Without the resurrection in verse 4, there's no good news. If you ever preach the gospel about Jesus, make sure you talk about the resurrection I remember one person, he got up and he preached in front of 80,000 people at a big outside festival, and he asked another pastor to critique his message, and the pastor said, you did a good job on sin, you did a good job on talking about the person of Christ, but you didn't preach the gospel, and this person at the, at the festival said, what do you mean I didn't preach the gospel, there's 80,000 people there. He said, you didn't talk about the resurrection, sometimes I do radio shows and I'll have a guest sitting with me and I'll say, it's the end of the show, would you please preach the gospel in case we have someone listening and they're not a Christian. And they talk about Jesus, they talk about sin bearing, they talk about how he died. And then, then I, I looked at this one guy one time, he was a pastor and I went like this.
1: And he looked at me like, what
0: are you doing? Oh, he was raised from the dead. <laughs> so whenever you're talking about the gospel, Jesus has conquered death. Amen. And to think, by the way, why is the gospel such good news? He didn't have to save anyone. The angels fell. No plan of salvation for the angels. God would be just and holy and right not to give us a plan of salvation. But He did. That's why Paul keeps talking about it over and over and over. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus? To kill Christians essentially and imprison them. And he's interrupted by the Lord Jesus. And 25 years later, what does Paul do in Ephesians chapter 1? He can't stand himself. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He, the Father, chooses. The Son redeems. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness penalty salvation. By the way, it's good news even if the society says it's bad news. Even if the society says none of this blood stuff, none of this satisfaction for sin, we don't even think the society can stomach the death penalty, right? You're saved by the death penalty. Jesus, by penalty of death, conquers sin, Satan, hell, and he's been raised from the dead. Remember that song, In Christ Alone? Do you sing that song, In Christ Alone? I bet you do you know the liberals hate that song? The liberals hate that song. Why? Because it says, and on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They hate that. They want to change it to, the love of God was magnified. But the authors of the song said, you can't mess around with that. And one of the liberal pastors uh, in Franklin, Tennessee, said, you know, I don't want to sing that about wrath because that lyric comes close to saying that God killed Jesus the cross is not an instrument of God's wrath. It's not, what is it? We have earned the wrath of God because the wage of sin is yeah. death. And now we have someone who takes our place. That's called substitution. And by the way, this is nothing new to you to see the passage in 1 Corinthians 15:3. And four, in accordance with the scriptures. It's right from the Old Testament. And in verse four, in accordance with the scriptures. The death, burial, and resurrection of our risen Savior. Make sure, dear congregation, when you meet an unbeliever, you talk about God's law so they see themselves as sinners. And then you talk about the good news that Jesus freely saves sinners. And the response is faith. Passage 3. This is going to be a quick one. Before I take you to the passage, what's the most important part of the Ten Commandments? See, you fall into my trap every time. What's the most important part of the Ten Commandments? Is it law? Oh, Oh, that's interesting. Which law? Don't take God's name in vain. Honor your father and mother. Turn to Exodus chapter 20 for our third passage today. We've seen in Matthew 19 law shows people their sin when we evangelize. First Corinthians chapter 15, the gospel gives the remedy for sin found in the person and work of the risen savior Jesus. And now we're going to look at for Christians, do we need law or gospel? Exodus chapter 20 one and following. The commandments start in verse 3, no other gods before me, Exodus 20. Don't make carved image, verse 4. Don't take God's name in vain, verse 7. Remember the Sabbath, verse 8, etc. But what's the most important part of the Ten Commandments? Answer? The preamble. Verse 2. In verse 1 it says, God spoke these words, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Okay, wait a second. Let's refer back to that parenting illustration that I had to start off with. Is there anything wrong with telling your children, I want you to sit here when daddy preaches and don't mess around. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Well, I mean, Luke's 26 now, but when he was little, (laughs) I remember once it was a Sunday night service and I was preaching. Kim was out of town. I had all four of my children lined up there and they could tell mom wasn't there to keep him in bay, at bay. And then I was up here preaching and everything. And I had to stay in the middle of my sermon, children, We'll address that when, we, when dad gets home. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with saying if you're the dad or mom, no elbows on the table. Push in the chair after you have dinner. Make sure you tell mom thanks for the meal. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But that parenting is not anything except law. Law is good. Don't misunderstand me. The law is good. But the law is just the law. How do you get someplace in your car with a GPS? Type it in, we went to Martinelli's the other day, the headquarters down in Watsonville, you ever been there? And we thought like good teetotaling Baptist fundamentalists, we need some champagne without the alcohol. So we go down there, we bought a couple cases of things. How did I get down to Watsonville without losing my life? (laughs) Don't you kidding me? Who lives in Watsonville? Some do. Okay, well, I should have gone to your house instead. I typed it in. Did it get me there? Did the GPS get me there? Answer, No. no. The engine did. The law doesn't animate. The law just says, good job, stay on target, turn around, what are you doing? That's all the law does. And the law guides, and there's certainly nothing wrong with me, the dad guiding my children. And you guiding your children. There's nothing wrong with that. But the way God parents right here in Exodus, and we're going to take a look at another passage in just a moment, is think about Ephesians chapter 1 to 3. The God of the universe loves you with an everlasting love and has given his best, his son. And now you are in Christ Jesus. And since you're in Christ Jesus, walk in a manner, chapter 4, worthy of conduct. Out of gratitude. The Christian paradigm is guilt and Adam, <laughs> grace in Christ, gratitude. And so we have the laws like GPS, but the engine that drives us is the love of God in Christ Jesus. Did you know if you're a Christian today, God has never stopped loving you because he never began because in eternity past God loved you? Just let that go through your mind for a minute, just like the steam coming out of your ears. I can't believe that God has loved me and he knew about all my sin. I think I probably told the congregation here, Kim and I were engaged for 30 days before we got married at First Baptist Scotts Valley 34 years ago. Why was it 30 days? Well, lots of reasons, but in retrospect, I think I was probably thinking if she really gets to know me, she's going to say no. <laughs> now my son is engaged for six weeks and he's, and he's like learning from dad. But God knew every sin you'd ever commit in the past, in the future, and he still said I'm going to send my son, the blameless one, to die for you. And because of that, don't look at a woman with lust. Because of that, work hard for your employer. Because of that, serve in the local church. Because of that, tell other people about my son. The law doesn't animate. The law is good, but it Convicts like a mirror to the unbeliever. And now for the Christian, the law didn't change, but my relationship to the lawgiver changes. And now it guides me. It helps me. I read the Proverbs, and it's Proverbs 5, my son, avoid sexual immorality. Enjoy sexual morality. It's a father talking to a son. I now don't have to say I'm going to be condemned if I disobey the law. I'll only be chastened. The most important part of the Ten Commandments is the intro. Look at what God has done for you. Christian, God has done so much for you. And now he gives you the law to guide you. And you say out of gratitude, I'd love to do that. Final passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This deals with sexual sin, but it could deal with any sin for the Christian. Let me ask you this question. Someone calls you up and says, I'm caught up in the pandemic. Of pornography. As a pastor, I deal with men all the time. Ladies have some problems with this as well, but mainly men. I have a problem with pornography. Dear Christian friend, could you help me? What would you tell them? Get an accountability partner? Work out? Get the X block on your computer software? Are those things fine to do? Are those things good to do? Maybe mandatory to do. But all those things are what? Law. They're all law. The Christian's life is not law. Oh, I, I got saved. Jesus took care of everything I need. Now just tell me what to do. Just, just, I, need, I just need to do something now. That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. Do you know you need Jesus just as much today as you did when you got saved? Yeah. That's why every single week the pastors get up and proclaim, this is who Jesus is. He might not be in a particular passage, but he's in the sermon because Jesus is the one that will motivate you to obey. Paul deals with the Corinthians. They are a licentious bunch. Do you think he gives them any law? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 20, and let me tell you that he does give law. He gives three laws, by the way. And then he gives the gospel. The Christian life is motivated by who Jesus is, guided by the law. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Here's the first law. Do you not know? By the way, they thought they knew everything. Ever meet anybody that thinks they know everything? remember watching uh, shows when I was a kid. Uh, Bullwinkle and somebody. And there was Mr. Know-it-all. All Remember Mr. Know-It-All? Who's old enough to know Mr. Know-It-All? Quite a few. And if you're old enough to know Mr. Bullwinkle Know-It-All, then you're old enough to know Bill Withers, who sings Ain't No Sunshine when she's gone. And he sings about 80 times live, I know, 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 I know. I know. That was the Corinthian church. They thought they knew everything. Don't you know? You should know. That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the, here's the law. Don't be deceived neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. The law is good to tell Christians, listen, don't be deceived. It's easy to be deceived. Because your family members, are irrationalized sin. Don't be deceived. If it wasn't easy to be deceived, he'd never say that. Sin deceives people. Is it important to give Christians law to help them live their lives. Yes, here's another law found in verse 18. How do you deal with sexual sin or any sin in the Christian life? Are there laws? Yes, here's another one. Flee sexual immorality. Flee. Um, The Greek word is fugitive. And again, my age tells me uh, there was that old fugitive movie with David Jansen, and then I think, who was the newest one, Harrison Ford? Even that's 30 years old. Run, fugitives, run. If you, Christian here, are dabbling in sexual sin, online or in person, what you need to do right now, you're commanded by God to what? Run, run. like Joseph. Well, I'm not going to be a coward and run. No, the Bible says run. Is the law good? Yes, God wants your best and his glory, so the Christian is to Run. There's nothing wrong with law. But there's something wrong with law. Only here, though, he gives the law because the law guides. Run. If you're at Santa Cruz Baptist and you're in sexual sin, run. He gives another law. Verse 20, glorify God in your body. You've been bought with a price. And your body's not for you. It's for the Lord. And so when it comes to sexual sin... How could you do something with your body and glorify God with your body? You can't. God is not against the law. Your pastors are not against the law. We're not anti-law, antinomians. But there's something that drives it. What's the, what's the engine that will help me do these things? Well, this is interesting. Let's see some of these gospel truths. Right there in 1 Corinthians chapter Six. do you see what he says in verse 11 here's some gospel truths if someone calls you and says I'm struggling with pornography tell them to run but also tell them something else such were some of you that used to be you but you were what's the first one washed you're cleansed why run back to the pigsty of sexual sin when you're clean God washed you It's called regeneration. He made you born again. As we say in Nebraska, you're washed. (laughs) That's what you need to tell a sexual sinner. Dear Christian, you say you're struggling with sexual sin. Yes, you need to flee from that, but I want to remind you that the God of the universe, at the purchase price of His Son's blood, He washed you. He washed you. Why would you run back if He washed you? You're washed. Be who you are. You're a saint. Do you know he calls them saints in chapter 1? What else does he say? He says, you're sanctified and you're justified. Look at all those gospel truths. Washed, sanctified, justified. I memorize that with WSJ, Wall Street Journal. No, no. Washed, sanctified, justified. You're sanctified. You're set apart. This is a position. God took you and you were off, running to hell as fast as you could. And he said, you know what? Now you're my special possession. Fourth of July, maybe you use paper plates. But on Christmas, you have special china, and it's set apart for something special, for Christmas, for Thanksgiving. You don't use it every day. It's for a special purpose. That's what the word sanctified is. You're not going to the temple prostitutes anymore, Corinthians. You're not going to the temple prostitute in computers, Santa Cruz Baptist, You're set apart. You're special. I love bicycling. And in my home in Massachusetts, well, I have some bikes here as well, but in my home in Massachusetts, I have a variety of bikes. And I don't know if I said this to Drew or not. Maybe I did. He spent some time uh, last year at my home. And I said, well, there's all kinds of bikes in the garage. You can ride whatever you want. There's a hybrid. There's a mountain bike. There's a road bike. Ride what you want. There's a couple motorcycles. But there's a bike that lives inside. In my, by my desk downstairs. And it's my special carbon fiber canyon bicycle. You can't ride that. <laughs> it's a special bike. I didn't say specialized. It's special. It's set apart for special use only. Sanctified. If you're a Christian, why would you dabble with sexual sin? When God has washed you, you're set apart for something else to be used by God for special purposes. Not profane purposes. Then he says you're justified. The key to any kind of living as a Christian is not just law only. True or false, the Bible teaches husbands love your wives. Is that the whole verse? Mormons do that. Buddhists do that. Tibetans do that. I don't know why I'm thinking about Tibet a lot. (laughs) I I ride my bicycle and if they have the free kiosk of books, I always go there and just see what they might have. And one was how to learn Tibetan. I didn't know it was a language, but I guess it is. The key to the Christian life is not just do, but something's been done. Husbands, love your wives as Christ what? Love the church. There's the law. Love your wives. There's the gospel. As Christ loved the church, that's what makes Christianity Christian. We love to give our spouses to-do lists, and by the way, to-do lists are all what? Law. Law. See, you're ruined. But if you say it's a honey-do list, then the honey's the gospel truth. You're like a honey to me, and here's what I'd like you to do. Are you with me? Okay, let's see, 92 minutes, all right. Why disgrace yourself with sexual sin or any other sin when you've been washed, set apart for God, and now declared righteous, justified? What's the opposite word of justification? Answer? Condemnation. We all deserve condemnation because of our own sin. And now Jesus accepts that condemnation from the Father. And now we're declared righteous. It's like a gavel comes down, not guilty. Yeah, but we did all those sins though. Yes, but you get credit for life of Christ and He gets credit for your sin confirmed by the resurrection, and now you stand before God not condemned. Is there anything you wouldn't do for a God who would save you like that? Our answer should be, well, I'd love to respond that way. Slander is not good because it goes against the person, but if God doesn't want me to slander, He's done so much for me, why would I want to do that? that that's, that's my old life. I used to be that way. Well, does Paul have any other gospel truths here besides washed, justified, sanctified? You can study this passage on your own, but there's all kinds of things. Look at verse 14. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you know your body's going to be resurrected? You think, well, what I do with my body sexually doesn't matter now because I'm kind of like this person that doesn't believe that the you know, material things are good. No, you're going to have a glorified body, but it will be your body. It's the truth of the resurrection. He brings in gospel truths washed, sanctified, justified, resurrected. Your body's going to be resurrected. So don't defile your body with what will be raised up. Look at verse 15, 16, and 17. You're united with Christ. Do you not know, you know it alls? I don't mean you, but the Corinthians, that your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You see what he's doing? He gives the law, but he tells you, here's what God has done for you. He says, the done motivates the do for the Christian. The done motivates the do. So when little children come to me, my little children, I had one who happened to be a little hitter. She liked to hit. And uh, I remember bringing the little one into the room and I said, and and she knew she was going to get probably spanking and so probably crying already. And I said, you know, Daddy loves you. Gospel or law? Gospel. Do you know everything in this room I bought for you? Gospel or law? I can't believe the Lord gave you to your mom and me. Prayed for you before you were born. You mean everything to us. My life would be incomplete without you. Gospel truths. Motivational truths. And she said, so, so that means no hitting, right, Dad? <laughs> I, said, yeah. I didn't even need to get to the law part. Think about the way you deal with others at, at church. How to encourage them. And not just tell them what to do. How, how do you deal with spouses? I need this done, I need that done. How important it is to say this is what you mean to me. The Corinthians were in a bad spot and Paul knew how to motivate Corinthians. And if the Corinthians can be motivated with gospel truths, then why won't we be gospel truths motivated? How do you deal with somebody that lacks assurance? I mentioned parenting in the beginning, and assurance at the beginning. How do you deal with somebody that lacks assurance? Have you read your Bible enough? Do you pray enough? Have you been serving enough? Are those okay questions to ask? Certainly. But that can't be the only questions you ask because it's law, law, law. Let me tell you, when you look to yourself... I don't know how I could be saved. When you look to the Lord Jesus, I don't know how I could be lost. You know, Jesus prayed enough. Jesus evangelized enough. Jesus never sinned. Jesus did all those things and you can trust in the Lord Jesus. And because of that, then we should probably pray, read our Bibles, etc. It changes everything. You go visit somebody on their deathbed. Final illustration, I have to close. They're a Christian. What do you tell them? A couple years ago I was in the hospital, I thought I just might die, and maybe you would come in and say to me, Mike, are you evangelizing the nurses? But that would be an impossibility because with our satanic system, no one was allowed to visit me, (laughs) isolated for 16 days, no one. But if you could come in and say, Mike, how's your prayer life? Have you been reading your Bible? Have you evangelized the nurses? I think those are all fair questions. I try to evangelize. I try to listen to my Bible. I try to pray. But that's not the essence of Christianity. The essence of Christianity is a risen Savior. How about this? I wish you'd come in and visit me on my deathbed and say things like this. Jesus paid it all. You can trust the Lord Jesus. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. There's no condemnation, Mike, for those in Christ Jesus, even weak, suffering Christians in the hospital. Gospel, 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 gospel. Do you see? My final question. If what motivates a Christian on their deathbed is the Lord Jesus and gospel truths, shouldn't that same Lord Jesus motivate Christians who are living today? The law says do, the gospel says done. Let's pray, Father.